the more I learned about this, the more I was like, who knew about this? And the reason we don't know about it is because, at least for me, I wasn't in the club. Hi, you're listening to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. If you're a real estate investor, this is the podcast for you. Our guest speakers will bring you amazing, intriguing, and unbelievable stories about real estate investing. The stories will be an honest and transparent account about what it actually means to invest in real estate. You'll hear stories that investors don't usually share. Stories about hardships, breaking points, painful truths, and surprising realizations. Sometimes there's a happy ending, and sometimes the story ends very differently than you would expect. So let's get the show started. Hey guys, on today's episode, I will speak with Holly Williams and hear how a tax deal pissed her off and made her think about her first real estate deal. You'll also learn how she vets sponsors and deals. So this episode is going to be super valuable for you guys. If you like my show, it'll be awesome if you pause now, take a minute and give us a five star ratings and write a review. This is very important to me. Me and my team put a lot of effort into creating this show and your feedback and rating means the world to us. All right, let's get started. Hello, hello. Welcome to yet another exciting episode of That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. Today, we're going to chat with Holly Williams, the principal of MQ Ventures and a general partner in over 100 million in multifamily apartment communities. In addition to multifamily holdings, Holly has been a real estate investor for over 20 years. Her active real estate portfolio includes rental apartments in Brooklyn, single-family homes, and land holdings in New Orleans, L.A., and upstate New York. Holly holds a B.A. and an M.A. in Advertising Communications from Texas Tech University and was named Outstanding Alumni of the College of Media and Communications in 2011. Hey, Holly, it's great to have you here today. How are you doing? It's good to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Where Where are you right now? Are you still in New York? I'm in New York. I'm in my basement where my husband lets me, puts me when he wants me to work and not not bother anybody. <laughs> You've been originally, you are from Mississippi, Texas. I grew up in mostly in Texas. I do have a mm-hmm. passport that says Mississippi, USA. <laughs> um, my parents were both from there and, and I moved to Houston when I was small. And, and so I grew up in Houston and a little bit in Dallas, went to school in Lubbock and got a job offer in advertising of in 1990 to come up here to New York and landed here and really loved it. It was only supposed to last a year and I ended up staying and meeting my New Yorker husband and that's the rest of the story, right? Right, right. You've been, for years, you've been basically in marketing, still am, if I'm, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. marketing, search. Mm-hmm. And that is still your career, and that's what you were focused on. And what, what happened? Can you share with us, with me and the listeners, how you kind of made a transformation from working only in advertising to start acquiring this real is estate? life on it, of its own, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, so it, I got serious about it when a friend of mine got serious about it. So I happened to be from, from Texas and I happened to have be on the board of, a, of an alumni board down, in, down at Texas Tech. 
and a co-board member is a guy named by, by the name of Joe Fairless. And I met Joe about 15 years ago. We both were from Texas. We both had single family homes. We both were interested in real estate. And so I remember when he quit his job and said he was going to go buy an apartment complex and I was one of his first investors. So I invested in that deal. Along that time, you know, things just sort of converge, right? At the same time. So I invested in this deal of his and I started, I just did it just honestly just to help him get going. And, and I didn't really understand it. I had done a little bit of angel investing, whatever, but I had never heard of an accredited investor, although I was one. I had, didn't know what that was. I, you know, and through the course of learning about this, I was like, this is pretty, I, I did not know that you could invest passively in real estate mitigate a lot of the risk because you're in a, an apartment complex, which is much, much better if a tenant moves out. It's not that big of a deal, right? And then what really happened was I got a tax bill. Um, I had some, you know, I grew up, you're supposed to put money in a mutual fund, right? You're supposed to get an investment advisor and all this stuff, right? I get this 1099 from a mutual, congrats, you know, you've made $65,000. And I'm like, Way I owe capital gains taxes on $65,000 and I didn't take any money out. I didn't make $65,000. I only, only on paper did I make $65,000. I never took the money and I had to pay taxes on capital gains on it. And what I discovered with apartment investing is that it's the other way around that you get the proceeds, that you get cash flow, and then you get instead of a 1099, you get a K1 that shows that you lost money on paper. And so you defer taxes. Because my accountant, when I was screaming at them, going, wait a minute, it's $65,000. I don't want to tell you what I said because it was all, you know, there are children watching or whatever. And, you know, and he said, oh, well, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, then they make it up when they sell. And so, you know, it's all about deferrals. Well, I'd rather defer it the other way. Thank you. I'd rather defer it. Beginning. So I'd rather have the paper loss now and the money versus no money and mm -hmm. the tax, right? So the more I learned about this, the more I was like, this is like, who, who knew about this? And the reason we don't know about it is because, at least for me, I wasn't in the club. You have, almost have to, you have to know somebody because you have to have a personal relationship with someone who's doing this right. to even have access to this. Or you have to have a $10 million account with Goldman Sachs or whatever and, and all, you know, and, and they have access to this kind of stuff. But the most of the time, you know, it's very hard to find access to these deals. And the more I learned about it, the more when Joe called me and said he wanted to do another one and could I call some of my friends and see if I could help him raise some money. I did that. And then I've really gotten involved with it because I don't, I'm really, I really realized, I've realized over the last five years that I've been doing this now, how brainwashed we really are. In, in what way? What do you mean brainwashed? Well, we're taught that you know, we willingly give our money to a financial planner or whatever who willingly, who tells us we, they don't know what's going to happen, who willingly give, then gives them to mutual funds that, oh, by the way, they're getting paid to do. And, and all, there's all kinds of money flying all different directions through this entire process. 
And then we're conditioned to think, you know, that our five, six, seven percent is good after everybody else has taken their cut of it Mm -hmm. along the way. Now, I'm not opposed to anybody making money, but this stuff just gets overlooked. Nobody lies. Nobody's doing anything illegal. It's just that, oh, by the way, they didn't tell me that it's really making 26%, but by the time everybody else takes their cut, I get my seven. And I should be happy because it's not one that I would get mm-hmm. into the But you, you made the move. You kind of took a risk in, in a way. And you were open-minded to try a new avenue. So do you think that you would have ended up here if, if Joe hadn't reached out to you and say, hey, I'm doing something new. Do you want to join the ride? Because I, I think some people would have said no, A, because, you know, you said he was a young guy. He just started. So perhaps he want to have that security. I'm not saying which way is better. Obviously, I'm in real estate. So obviously, I, I chose the other way. But some people, you know, maybe prefer to stay with what's safe. And, and they, they also, they know it's coming. And, and they don't need to also inquire and, and verify anything. It's there. It's in the back of their mind. It, they, they, they can forget about it. But you, you are doing exactly the opposite. Well, so that's what's so great about these, these types of passive investments is that you really, it is the same thing as I mean, you really are, you're passive. It's, it's really in lieu of the stock market in my mind. But what, it, what I do know is that real estate is a great investment. Lots of people, everybody knows that, but everybody knows how much work it is. So basically what you're doing is, is you get partners and, and let them do the work and they share though with you, right? At least in our deal, share. And that's what, I think that's what you mean by, by, by you really have to pay attention and vet who you're working with. But you, want, you really have to do that. In the, I mean, we don't even know. You, you, know, you think that it's because, because there's a brand name, a, a big, you know, fidelity, whatever, and that's not to mention, not that fidelity is bad. I'm just saying, you know, I'm a client. I have money at fidelity. But, you know, we think, we just, we don't question that 300 pages of terms and conditions mm-hmm. in that fund. We mm-hmm. don't question that. But we do question when we're making a private investment like this. And you should. You should question all of it. But the fact of the matter is, is they, that people write the laws and they make it much more complicated than it needs to be. That's right. <laughs> right? They make it much more complicated than it needs to be. And then I tell people, it's like, you know, if you've ever had surgery and signed your, you know, you're going to die on the table. It's all going to be horrible. I mean, it, you, all these horrible, you could be a vegetable. All these horrible things that you sign off for. It's sort of like, Everything that we do is in America is kind of like that anyway, right? <laughs> but to me, for me, I think this is safer than the stock market because I understand it. It's simpler. And rents don't go down. I mean, rents will go down, but not like the value of the property may go down. It may, may be hard to sell it. But if you've got a loan that is longer term to mitigate that risk, and if you've got a property that's already cash flowing, and you've got a team that you're confident in, then I think this is much safer than than a stock. And yeah, I, I totally agree. And then when you invest passively with other sponsors, you know, assuming that you vet them, how passive are you with your investment? I mean, for you, is it enough to kind of review the quarterly or the monthly reports? Do you actively 
ask questions because I, I know some people, you know, part of why they some don't want to get into real estate is because they say, I, I don't know anything about it and I don't want to start having another thing, you know, something else that will occupy my time. I want, I want something passive. So it's, it's funny because we'll, however involved you want to be, we do a monthly little, here's the occupancy, here's this, here's that. But if you want to be more involved and learn about it, then that's great. You know, the general partners make the, the big decision. You got to have somebody that's ultimately taking on, you know, the responsibility of making the decisions. But the biggest thing to me when a value, and if you go to my website and download, I've got a little booklet or whatever on, on you know, what I, what I look for in a syndicator. But the first thing I look for is skin in the game. Right. So every, you know, everybody, when you invest in a mutual fund or whatever, they're not even, it's not even their money they're playing with. I want to invest with people who have their personal money in the deal. And I know, and I do. And then I want people that have, you know, that I know and that are experienced, that have some experience and some track record. And, you know, any good syndicator is going to be able to give you references all of those things. Uh, and, and, I, and I also think, you know, I'm in market research, right? And so I look at the market. You want a marketplace that's growing. You know, I happen to be from Texas, so I know a little bit about it. There are other mm-hmm. great markets too. I own property in New York. I don't, I'm not actively looking to buy. I've looked, I can't make the numbers work and there's no one, people aren't moving here. They're not moving to Los Angeles either. And they're just not, even though it's great and wonderful, but Nobody. <laughs> yeah. If, if anything, there's a negative migration in New York and Los Angeles. And I actually saw the Florida and Texas are the two states with the highest migration. And it makes sense. If you still want to be in the warm climate, warm weather, and you cannot afford to live here, where would you go? And I think a lot of people can't afford living in New York and Los Angeles, not only as tenants, but also as investors. So technically, yeah, I can buy real estate here. But it will have either negative cash flow, or I'm, you know, best case scenario, I might be um, breaking even. And these are good markets for different types of investors. Well, it's for appreciation. Exactly. Yeah. Appreciation in, in markets like Los Angeles and New York, but most Americans are move where the jobs are. Exactly. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that New York's not creating a whole lot of brand new jobs right now. Right. Very difficult. To do business here. That's right. Yeah. Um, so I think that it's insane. It occurred to me that most of my hard-earned net worth was invested in something that I really didn't understand. When I really got down to breast, I could tell you all about P&E ratios and all the stuff in business school. But but at the end of the day, you know, Trump tweets again, it's down. Mm-hmm. You know, a company has a really good earnings quarter. The stock goes down. There's a lot to it that I just don't know. I can't know those industries well enough. And, you know, I, I understand what a good real estate deal looks like. And I understand how to mitigate risk. I, somebody just sent me a, a deal to look at that has a 10%, 15% bridge loan. They're going in with 15% equity. And that right off the bat, we're not doing that. Sorry, that's just not a good deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, over leveraged. Yeah, not thirty percent. You know, and you want uh, something extendable so that I mean, five years, three years from now, who knows? Oh yeah, absolutely. We don't want to get caught in a place where the market goes down, and we we need to hold on to the assets. So if you get something that's cash flowing now, and you have some risk mitigation in there, that's what it's all about. 
I think that I understand this a lot better. Mm-hmm. It's like scuba diving, right? You have to oh, yeah. have, you know, you don't just go down without a buddy or a spare tank or something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, absolutely. But but you understand it now. And when you started, you knew little or maybe even nothing about real estate investing. What was your state of mind when you said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do it? even though you didn't know much and you probably saw the information and you're looking at it and and like, what do you think? I always say, you know, more than you think, you know, and, and I do know that I knew the main person I was dealing with and I trusted him. So that's, I mean, I had an investor just the other day said, I'm doing this, you know, Holly, because I trust you. And I said, Oh, I know, I know, (laughs) don't worry. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, and it's the same thing. And that, you know, for our investors, that's, I don't take that lightly. And Joe didn't either. You know, we're all, we're all like in the same kind of tribe and, and thinking, right? And so I think that that's the biggest thing is that I may not have had very much real estate. Well, I did have some, I did have some real estate experience, but I have ex- business experience at that time. I mean, I knew how to run a business and that's really what you're doing because one of the things that we really do is go in and we look at apartment complexes that are like being mismanaged. A lot of these things are not, not even on computers. They're still collecting paper checks. They're all over the place. It's just, it, there's a lot of that, a lot of that that you wouldn't think that that there would be. And, and they're also, you know, they're not building, we stick with like class B, like working Americans. You know, the manager at McDonald's, the guy that, you know, is head of, you know, the security at the hospital or whatever. You know, it's just, so these are working Americans and there's not a lot of new construction happening in the, for those that demographic. It really mm-hmm. is a very underserved market, I, I think. And you know, I think that, and it just really is about understanding the market and, and market research. I understood how it's a growing market, growing area. Jobs are coming there. Companies are going there. You know, every time a major major corporation relocates, they take a bunch of jobs, but they those jobs create more jobs. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. People really even think about, oh, Caterpillar, and they only saved a thousand jobs. Well, that's 10,000 jobs. I mean, you've got to have dry cleaner. You know, they've got to have car repair. They've got to buy bread. They've got to buy milk. They've got to buy, you know, it's just like, I don't think people really, really think about what, what that means to the economy when there's money moving around. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm actually very curious to see how the second headquarter of Amazon is going to impact the, I mean, hopefully, I personally hope they're going to go to the Dallas, but who knows, right? Could be DC, could be, my husband thinks that they're going to go to DC because because of regulation. And, and for them, even if it's not the cheapest option when it comes to the operations, they're going to gain through, you know, in other ways through regulation, because right now I think that's their main issue, but we're, that's, that's kind of off topic. But if they do... Talking about that later, but yeah, but but if you do move that, that's going to impact the real estate market significantly. So you know, I think that we really are going through a, a you know, at the end of the day, everybody has to have a place to live. At the end of the day, too, housing is more and more people choosing to rent. You know, you, you had Kathy Fetke on recently, and I, I'm a fan, Kathy, if you're listening. And Kathy said one time, I heard her say. You know, to buy where you want to invest, invest where you want to, and rent where you want to live. Mm-hmm. That struck me. And I think more and more people are hearing that and they're doing yep. it. 
And, you know, not all markets that you want to, you just got to look at every market and maybe the market's better for you to, if you want to live there, maybe it's better for you to rent and invest your money somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. We're brainwashed into buy the house and then buy another. And then before you even get it paid off, go buy another house that's bigger. Why? So that everybody else can make money off of this, right? And then all your equity should be in your home. Anyway, it's a whole other story. But I think that we're, you got to really think for yourself. There's not a lot of, not as much critical thinking these days in this country as there mm-hmm. might have been at, a, at other points in time. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So Holly, I wanted to ask you something that I ask all of my guests. And I think I know the answer to that question, but I still want to hear it from you. If you could look back and give yourself any type of advice, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? You know, I always say that, listen to your gut, you're smarter than you think. I would say that, that you know, if, if you do what everyone else is doing, you're going to get what everybody else has. If you surround yourself with people that that you trust and that are smarter than you. And, you know, honestly, that's what I do. I mean, it's, it's not that hard to surround myself with people that are smarter than me. <laughs> no, but, you know, it's like I really, I think it's about, it's about staying, always be learning. And that's what I love about real estate too, is that there are so many things that you can do within, you know, I understand multifamily apartments in a particular, you know, class B you know, working family markets like Dallas and Atlanta and, you know, and I understand a little bit about New York City because I own a four family house here, but it's really not a commercial property, right? I don't really, so, so I don't understand that, you know, and the developers and all, and all of that is something I don't have experience with. So if you want to get into something, find somebody that's smarter than you and learn from them and work with them until you understand it. That's a good advice. And, and Holly, where can people find you? Keepmore.com. Keepmore. It all started with the $65,000 tax bill. That's what made me get passionate about this really fast. When I realized that I could have cash flow and defer taxes and I don't pay as much income tax at the end of the day, then that got my attention. And then my parents passed away and they had a close call because they were forced, the government makes you take money out of these IRAs that that's a whole other conversation. But that stuff, it's not even taxed at the capital gains rate. It's taxed as regular income when you take it out. Mm -hmm. So if you retire and it's 2010, right? And the crash happened 2000. They'll tell you, oh, put it in some bond, put it in something safe. Well, even the safe stuff crashed. And if, if that money had been in real estate and real estate syndications, they would have kept making cash flow. Instead, what happened, they had to withdraw. You had, you know, that's the other thing about real estate. You don't have to sell the asset to make money. You can make money before you have to sell the asset. And with stocks, they had to withdraw their principal. Yeah, that's a good point. And mm-hmm. so they spent the Years when they had to withdraw the most were the years when the stock market was horrible. And everybody says, oh, well, then they sh- you should buy an annuity for 4% or some nonsense like that. Well, you can't live on that. So real estate is my annuity. And, and I could have really helped them if I had you know, really, really known about this like I know now. 
Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. And I think your state of mind is amazing. And hopefully, you know, that will inspire some potential and current investors to go out there and believe in themselves and and listen to their intuition and make more money. Keep more. The right way. Keep more. Keep more. Absolutely. Thank you, Holly. Thank you. This was fun. Thanks for having me. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.